Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Man, I tell you what, I just love keeping church about Jesus. Amen. I mean, we could get into helping you be a better citizen about, you know, get you on the right side of politics and get you managing your money better and all that kind of stuff. But I think I'd just rather let Jesus teach you how to do that, you know? We'll teach you who you are and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. What do you say? Is that a deal? Amen. I'm just, I'm, you gotta, I'm stalling because I'm still kind of having a moment with the Holy Spirit here for a minute. You know, I just kind of have to let that come to fruition and then I can move forward. Because honestly, I mean, transformation. See, I, here's what astounds me is that Christians don't actually believe the Bible. It's weird. I'll start talking to people either in counseling sessions or other Christians, and you start talking about how transformation actually happens, and you bring out a scripture like mind renewal produces transformation. And so what you should do is focus on mind renewal if you're needing this person to experience transformation because that's what the Bible says produces the transformation. And it's like, no, we need to get them keeping these laws, and we need to get them under a little bit of guilt and condemnation, and we need to get them into this program, and we need to get them learning and understanding every word of the Bible. And it's like, it's not that those things are bad. It's just that those are those assist the true root of transformation, which is mind renewal. Amen. So it, it, it astounds me that we don't take a biblical methodology and apply it to our lives to actually experience Christianity. And I'm telling you, that's what I love to do. I just love to dismantle these religious mindsets and get us to a place where we're actually experiencing the spirit of the living God within us to produce something, to change, to make changes within us. You know, I mean, like, this really doesn't have much to do with my message, but I'm just kind of feeling it in the moment because of that meditative part that we went into of experiencing the inward presence of the living God. And it doesn't have to be some mystical mumbo-jumbo where you're seeing unicorns and rainbows in the room and horses, you know, whatever. If you see that, knock yourself out. That's fine. I just hope it also assists in you experiencing actual real change in your life. I pray that it produces a transformation that when you walk out of church or you walk out of a worship session or standing up from your personal meditation at home, that something is different within you in a real way. And and to the degree where you actually expect for your desires to change. You know, unfortunately, I spend too much time in my counseling office talking about people's sin habits. And a lot of people have the theology that they think that they're just rotten to the core, so they're just going to have to struggle with this thing their entire lives. And then you start kind of changing the way they see God a little bit, realizing that, you know, he's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so you can expect to actually be a different kind of being. And then to bring people to a place of, you know what, let's engage in a process of transformation where at the end of it, what you naturally desire changes. And it's not limited by the hurts from your past. It's not limited by erroneous theology that says God doesn't do that anymore. But inwardly, the natural compass that drives you has changed. You've gotten an update inside where life isn't a struggle. But it takes work to enter into that rest. It's interesting. And this kind of blends in with what I'm talking about today because, you know, we've, been gone, we've gone through this whole series I'm calling Move Forward. And ideally, what we're talking about is you taking steps to live out the call of God on your life. And that looks different for everybody. And we've talked about how in a lot of places, the way that you discover your call is that you go through, you go, you you take some kind of test and you strength finder test or something like what you're really good at or 
maybe the one gift that God has given you that nobody else on the planet has, just that quite kind of, it's always this kind of performance blended, you know, kind of presentation of your calling is defined by what you do well. And it's like, I mean, that may be a part of how you figure out how you express your calling, but I turn it all back around and hinge it on the commandments of Christ, and that is to love God and love people and help you define your calling by ask, answering the question, who do you love? Not what does God want me to do, but who does God want me to love? And, and you know, this is review, but it's still very fresh in my own heart because it, it's not that you don't put actions to your love. It's not that you don't get a plan and, you know, go accumulate the resources that you need, take a class, read a book, get a degree, whatever resource you might need to put flesh to the idea of I'm going to intentionally live out of my love for this people group or this calling that God has on my life, but it's defined by love rather than performance. Amen? So taking that concept, and hopefully in your life groups or in your personal discussions, you've kind of walked, worked through this process over the last few weeks and at least narrowed down to this is the people group that I love, and I'm going to take intentional steps to move toward that people group, whether it be that child in your arms that's consuming all of your time right now because it's a newborn, or it's your spouse that is on the other side of your bed in the bedroom, all the way toward all the people in China. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it is that you feel like my heart burns for these people, Hopefully, over these last few weeks, you've started to look at how can I start taking steps toward intentionally expressing my love for these people. I think you will walk into fulfilling your call naturally if you can do that. Make it about love, put action to it, and watch God move. Amen? The how and all that stuff, God just adds that stuff to you. It's really interesting how you decide, I'm going to act out in love. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to move this direction. And then you watch what God does. He gives you wisdom. He brings you resources. He brings people in. He's like, here's this, this book that's, you, you've been sitting on your shelf for six years, and now it's time to read. You know what I mean? That's his part. That's his part to prepare you and lead you and, and guide you down that path. Once you say, I'm going to keep the commandments under the new covenant, love God, love people, and start moving. I'm going to make some decisions and act. Now, Today, I want to talk about what happens when you do that, and that is all of the stuff that you've stuffed down into your heart and hadn't dealt with your entire life starts bubbling up. It says, uh-uh, we're not doing that. We're going to stay right here where we are. This is comfortable. We like this box. We're not going to get out of this box. You try to get out of this box, we're going to create some chaos over here, and we're going to keep you where you feel safe and comfortable, even if it's toxic. Your heart will do that for you naturally. How nice, right? You don't need any help from the devil. You don't need God bringing tests or trials into your life, which is a whole different subject. You just need a limiting belief embedded in there for one reason or another to keep you from moving forward. I don't want that to happen to you. So, you know, I want to look at a couple of things today. Isaiah 54, 2, this is... Uh, we referenced this a couple of weeks ago, and this is after Isaiah gives us the prophecy of the great exchange in Isaiah 53. Isaiah gives us this incredible detailed account of what the Messiah would go through for us on the cross. And then he starts to prophesy to the nation of Israel, which you have to realize that we, as, as people of faith in Christ, are the children of Abraham, therefore the true Israelites. Does that make sense to you? That's what it says in Galatians, is that those that are of faith, those, you know, the true children of Abraham are the ones that have faith in Christ. So you can take these prophecies in Isaiah 53 and 54 and apply them to yourself because you are a child of God by faith. Amen? Because sometimes you teach this stuff and they're like, well, you're trying to take promises that were to the Israelites thousands of years ago and not apply them. It's like, well, okay, filter that through the new covenant and the finished work of Christ. It puts me square in the middle of this prophecy. So after the establishment of the new covenant and all through Isaiah 54 when God promises that his covenant of peace would never pass, that he would no longer be angry with us or rebuke us, God's not mad at you. 
is this. And it's almost as if before he, is, before he prophesies this covenant of peace, he gives them this. In Isaiah 54, too, he says, enlarge the place of your tent. And I, and I like I like intent to your heart, your inner man, your expectation. Enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge the capacity of your heart. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. God's all about increase. And the increase comes through you. And if it doesn't come through you, it's because your tent is too small. And the way that you intent... You increase your tent <laughs> as you place your confidence in who God is. Not in your capacity to believe, not in anything that you do well per se, but in who God is. God is wanting to increase his kingdom on this planet through me. Not because we're so great and wonderful, but because that's just the way he set it up. We are plants in the garden of the kingdom of heaven. And we grow that fruit, and the fruit is the aroma of the kingdom increases and spills out into this earth and comes through fruition. And people pluck apples off of us and eat them and say, wow, the Lord's pretty good. Is that too weird? It might be a little bit too weird. You know what I'm saying? That's what you get to do. You pray for someone, you, it's like you hand them a fruit from the kingdom of heaven, and they take a, partake of that. And they nourish themselves with that. And they experience God, you know. That's all we are. We're just fruity trees. <laughs> Hoping people will partake of the Lord. Amen? So Jesus went through this process. Really interesting. Um, let's just read this and then I'll comment about it. So in Luke 3, starting in verse 21, when all, let's see. When all the people were being baptized, so this is John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus comes down to be baptized. I love what it says here. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying and heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit depended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, and then it goes through this whole lineage. So there's a lot happening here. But this phrase in verse 23, he began his ministry. You know, these stories that you hear of Jesus playing with other kids, and they're all making their little clay things, and like his comes to life. Or the, the, the dead bird when he's a kid. You ever heard those silly little things? And sometimes we get the picture of this idea. It's like, well, Jesus must have surely been doing miracles his entire life as a kid. But we don't have any record of any of that at all. It says right here, his ministry began. And the reason that it began here is because this is when the anointing to be the, well, don't, mis, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He's the Messiah from eternity past into eternity. But, but the man Jesus, and that's why it goes through this entire lineage of his manhood and his humanity is because it puts in place that he is a man. But in this moment when he's baptized, he is anointed and given what he needs to walk out the fulfillment of his calling on this planet. Now, you know, there, there's a lot of questions that come up in that. I'm not trying to take away from anything, but I'm just saying there was a beginning point to when he received the calling, so to speak, to go out and be what he was going to accomplish on this planet. It wasn't like he just kind of lived this messianic life going about preaching the gospel his entire life. There was a beginning point. There's a beginning point for you. Now, watch what happens when Jesus began. So we go to Luke 4. We're going to read through uh, like 13. Luke 4, 1. Then Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Do you think Jesus had the Spirit beforehand? There's a conversation. <laughs> I mean, he's God in the flesh, right? Personally, I think he did. But... 
being filled with the Spirit, right? Does that mean he got the Spirit and didn't previously have the Spirit? Because that's what we typically think being filled with the Spirit is. Let me just give you, this is going to be, I'm just going to compartmentalize this. I'm I'm announcing my rabbit trail, y'all, right? People will tell you, you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to pray in tongues. And if you're not praying in tongues, you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, and you haven't been filled with the Spirit, as if you don't have the Spirit. That's a lie. The reality is, you say yes to Christ. When you're born again, you receive the indwelling presence of the living God and everything that He is. Now, being filled with the Spirit is being under the influence of that indwelling spirit. Not a separate time when God says, well, you were born again here, now I'm going to give you the spirit. Do you see the difference? So being filled with the spirit is when there's, it's like the way that the Holy Spirit works and anoints people for something under the old covenant was he would come down out of heaven and empower someone to do that thing. Now under the new covenant, he still comes out of heaven and rests upon people, It's just that heaven is within, right? The kingdom of heaven is within. So the Holy Spirit comes out of you to rest upon you, to empower you to whatever it is that God would lead you to do. And you need to be filled or under the influence of the Spirit to walk that out. And if you're trying to do it without the influence of the Spirit, you'll burn out. You get into weird stuff. You're like that burning bush. It'll burn out. You know, the burning bush is a perfect illustration, visual of what grace is. It's a bush that's not being consumed because it's not burning of its own energy. It's burning of an energy, not of itself. The energy, potential stored energy within that bush isn't being consumed. If you're being, if you're burning out, you're doing it wrong. If it's weird, you know, I mean, it's challenging, right? You're, you're constantly growing and learning and we have emotions and, you know, it, it affects us. But if we're not passionate, if we lose passion for what it is that God's called us to do, you're doing it in your own strength. Get filled with the Spirit or do it under the influence of the Spirit. Amen? So then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit or under the influence of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil... And in those days, he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Verse 3, then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God. Now, you've probably heard this before. You've probably noticed this before. But the very thing that God announced in front of everybody, you're my son, I'm pleased in you, is the very thing that the enemy questioned him on and attacked him on. Now, watch this. This is interesting, right? James 1 tells us that all temptation comes from our own lusts and desire. Go look it up. James 1, round, what is it, 10, 11, 12, 13? All temptation. Now, listen. Was Jesus tempted? Did he sin? Right. He was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. James tells us that you're tempted in the areas of your own lust and desire. We have a perverted version of what lust is, but it's just desire. Think about this. Where was the area that Jesus was tempted? In his desire to be the Son of God. And so the devil attacked that, made him question it, right? That's what the enemy will do. He'll come and he'll... That, see, that's why... I, When when your identity gets attacked, you start realizing, okay, I I got like eight ideas. Let me stop here for a second. (laughs) Unfortunately, because we live so carnally minded, our level of temptation is like, you know, all the stuff that is typical. You know what I mean? All the fleshly things that we still struggle with. We're easily tripped up into those kinds of things because we still struggle with those kinds of just basic carnal things. But when you start to get that stuff under control and you start to experience some transformation, the only thing that he has left to tempt you with is, are you really this child of God? Are you really this kingdom carrier that has the potential to be a peace bringer and go into 
a place and change the atmosphere because you carry the gospel and you plant it in that place and, and it grows. You know, that's, that's like the last stage of being confronted and questioned and tempted and attacked, who you really are. So let's keep reading because all of that comes to play when you start to step out into your call, your identity is challenged. It doesn't even need to be the devil. Most of the time it's us because what we believe in our hearts about ourselves, we let all that stuff come back up and it challenges who we think that we are. It's as if this happens. I'm decided to do something beyond what I normally do. I'm going to make a difference in the world. I'm going to make an impact. And then your heart says, well, I don't think so because you believe this about yourself. So therefore, forget about that. Let's just rest on back into this destructive behavior. And, th and then, you get, then you feel guilt and shame, and it's like then you just remain unproductive or you just manage where you are. It's time to break that cycle. He says, <clears throat> um, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You know, there's all kinds of innuendo and nuance in this, but essentially he's getting Jesus to try to prove his identity through his performance. Don't fall into that trap. You prove your identity by recognizing and acknowledge, acknowledging what Christ did for you, through you, and in you on that cross. That is your identity. Everything else is just a reflection of it. Not one thing that you do establishes who you are in Christ. Does that make sense to you? Everything, it's just fruit that you live out of that identity. Jesus answered, saying, It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up to, to a, on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. This is a shortcut. See, Jesus knew that if he fulfilled his calling, that all authority would be given to him, that all glory would be given to him, right? That was a desire of his because he'd read it in Scripture his entire life, and he knew what the Messiah was called into. He knew that ultimately he would be the preeminent one in eternity back again, you know, and, and when we put words to that, it's hard because it sounds like we're taking things away from him, but, it, you know, language falls short to really define what happened there. But the thing is, is the devil was offering him what Jesus knew he had to walk out his call to receive. It's a shortcut. You ever taken a shortcut? Verse 7, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Verse 8, and I've heard of people like, uh, like, I don't know, rock stars for some reason. I've heard of some rock stars that they'll say that they feel like that, that a demon or the devil or some entity appeared to them and said, if you'll just give yourself over to me, I'll give you an ability to play and write songs. And, and then their career skyrockets. You know, that's a real thing that happens. That's a shortcut. But it, you may not recognize it as that. You know, for you it may be, well, I'm just going to do this and nobody's ever going to know. It's not that big of a deal. But this shortcut's going to get me where I need to go. And it's for a godly reason. Are you with me? Verse 8, Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, once again, attacking his identity, questioning his identity, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Opportune time. That's all the enemy is, is an opportunist. I mean, he does not have rights into your life when you sin. He does not have the power to maintain a curse over you. 
All that has been stripped away as the result of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. All principality and power has been stripped, placed under his feet. Amen? You're in Christ. You have that same authority. The devil has no right into your life and no authority into your life, no matter what you do. He's an opportunist that will wait until your point of weakness and then challenge you and reinforce wherever you are naturally tempted and make it sound really good. And it's more like hypnotism than it is an attack. See, when we're weak or when we are going after the shortcut and we got it all figured out and you're just full of carnal thinking, but it's like, man, I tell you what, I got this thing figured out. If we do this, we do and then we start manipulating and we start working on and, and we think that we're praying, but really we're just telling God what we think he should do. And he's sitting there going, well, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Are you with me? We get into this carnal thinking of how it's all going to work out. And, and then you confuse worry for prayer in the midst of this manipulative process that really you're only fooling yourself in this shortcut to get to where you think is a godly end. That makes sense? And we do that all the time because we think we got it figured out. And it's not that you can't be privy to the path that God would have you walk down. It's just that when you don't know who you are and you're not doing it out of identity, you're doing it to try to get to the end without preserving who you really are as you journey toward that end, you'll compromise. You'll make room for sin. You'll make excuse for sin. And all that does is slow you down, trip you up, cause you to stumble. Doesn't make God stop loving you. Doesn't make God withdraw from you. And it doesn't change God's idea or plan for you. Just might take you longer to get there. You may never get there. You may forfeit the call of God on your life because you keep playing around in these areas where you're taking shortcuts to bring fulfillment in your identity. I mean, I know I'm kind of saying a lot here. And we're talking... Kind of some psychology stuff, but I, I want to get into practical ministry, practical life, because I'm telling you, I've seen this happen. Sitting in my counseling office or for years, you know, I've been a senior pastor, lead pastor for 10 years. Before that, I was an associate pastor for uh, three, four years. In the middle of that, a youth pastor for five years, leading ministry teams out, knocking on doors for three years and... and uh, I don't know, a bunch of stuff in the process. Leading, you know, in a leadership capacity, helping people move past their limitations for at least 16 years. So the common denominators that I see, especially when you understand the heart element, that somebody says, all right, I'm excited. I feel like I've got a passion and a desire and I want to move forward in that area. That could even be a skill that you have and a business idea that you have that you then use somehow to bring glory to God. You know what I mean? We're not limited to just some type of ministry idea. We're talking about a passion that you have that ultimately you use to bring people to Christ somehow, right? We're just going to leave that open-ended. And people, when they make these decisions and get excited and get inspired and want to step out and move past where they kind of just naturally live in life, this heart stuff will come up and your identity will be challenged and whether it's the devil or not doesn't really matter. It's the issue of what am I going to do inwardly? Am I going to recoil back into what happened to me when I was 5 or 15 and live out of that pain? Or am I going to redefine who I am and move forward past this thing? You have to have a literal experience of dying in Christ and becoming a different person in him to move forward past these old limiting situations that we still find ourselves in. Now, here's an interesting dynamic that I've seen happen over and over and over. Somebody gets excited or just makes a decision, I'm, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm done wasting my time. I'm done giving my life up to that thing, that idea, that fear that abuse, that trauma, that ha I'm tired of that defining me. I'm ready to move on. And then people start to take steps and move on and find some healing and find some forgiveness toward people for that junk that's happened to them. 
A lot of times we have to have forgiveness for ourselves in that area. So we start finding some peace in who we, in our own skin, you know what I mean? It's like you're constantly, as you increase your tent, the capacity of your heart to let God move through you and express himself through you, you're going to deal with these things. Most of us don't take the time to redefine our identity through the finished work of Christ so that those things are not aspects of our being anymore. They're just part of our past. If something that happened in your past still invokes emotion within you today, you're either not over it or you've just given it too much place in your life. Not all memory should create an emotion that feels the same way that it did the last time. Like I went through hearing voices, thinking I was dead, thinking that I was in hell, and the fear that gripped and consumed me was I, I can't even really put it into words. But now if I think about it and talk about it, I, I mean, literally, there's not one single emotion that comes up from that. It's like it's just, it's in the past. Like, well, that was weird. <laughs> you know? And it's like, here we go. I got the rest of my life to live. But there are other areas where it's like you start to move forward and, and you know, the limiting things come up. So here's what happens. The dynamics the heart is multifaceted, incredibly dynamic. You get a brand new heart when you're born again, right? He tells us that. A new heart I'll give to you. I'll place my spirit within you. A new covenant I will cut with, you know, a new, a new covenant I will make available. So that's, that's part of the promise of this born-again lifestyle is you get this new heart. This new heart has all of God's wisdom and instruction encoded within it, otherwise known as law. Law is not requirement for righteousness for us under this covenant. It's instruction for us. So in this new heart that you're given, and we don't really fully know what this heart is, it's like, it's like a new core. You know, it's almost like a new hard drive. It's, it's not just an operating system. It's like a new, a new core. It's a new you. And, and, and what we have to do is learn how to live out of this new us. And so you have to learn how that heart is connected to the spirit of the living God and live from that sense of connection with God and redefined identity because you really are a new creature and change this stuff in between these two things here and change that because this, unfortunately, is defining who we are more than what God has done. And that's what we talk about all the time in here. Affirming your identity, because when you stand in your identity in Christ and you recognize who you are in Him, that will lead you, and that will help you filter the decisions that you make and the thoughts that you let yourself think about yourself. I tell you what, if you let other people talk to you the way you talk to you, you'd be <laughs> black and blue. You know what I'm saying? Man, we beat ourselves up because we think we deserve it, because we think we're the old dead man. Now, you might still be behaving last night like the old dead man that you picked up that habit 40 years ago. You know, stop. Time to stop. The way you stop is you affirm this new core, and you engage the spirit of the living God within you for this power to transform. There's just no shortcut. You have to be engaged in that process. That's why we do church, is so that there's an environment for it to come into and just be re, you know, just nourished in that truth. But here's what'll happen. And now this will help you. And Adam and I were talking about this because he just finished recording for his first EP. <laughs> But this will happen to you, and, I, and I, I'm, if I describe what I've had a conversation with you about, it's not just you, it's a lot of us. Here's how the conversation goes. You know, I'm really starting to understand these concepts. I really feel like I, I'm excited that I can experience change, but I feel like it's one step forward, two steps back. You ever felt like that? You start learning your identity. You start learning how grace is an empowerment 
to teach you how to live godly, to strengthen you beyond your carnal limitation, and you start moving in that direction thinking, wow, this might work this time instead of all this effort that I've been trying to produce. Living from my identity might work, and so you take one step forward, and then you feel like you take two steps back. It's because your heart is like trying to bust out of this, the, the box that it's in. And so your heart, the core you, is still remembers who you used to be, right? So you take a step, and then everything within you emotionally and mentally starts to run the old programs, and you start making decisions like you used to. And you start, then you start thinking that you are the old you. And so you, it's like, okay, here we go. I'm going to try again. And then all of a sudden, now this, this, is a, this is a very specific thing that'll happen. And I've heard this from a lot of you, seen it in my own life, and, and seen it in lots of different capacities of ministry. Someone will engage this process of transformation, start understanding and believing the finished work of Christ, their new identity in Him, that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, maybe pick up an old dream or have some hope and start moving forward in that area, and all of a sudden, your sin habit gets worse. Or something that you used to do, you start doing again. Or an old pattern comes back up again, and you're thinking, wait, where'd that come from? I thought I dealt with that years ago. And it's not that you didn't deal with it. It just became manageable to you, but it was kind of like this little secret hidden in there. And see, the heart is interesting. The, the, the way that the heart is who you think that you really are. It's the real you in some sense, but it also remembers the old you. And what it is that you're, whatever you're letting influence it is what it's going to make decisions toward. So in other words, you start thinking that you are that old man, your heart will run the pattern to help you get to that end. Or you can turn the eyes of your heart back to the Lord and it will help you move toward who you are in Christ. It's kind of this governor, right? So, but it all has to do with your mind and are you letting God influence you or are you influencing yourself through external and past? So if you start to move forward and you start engaging in this fear pattern or this sin habit or all this old stuff that you thought was the old man, and then you go get counseling and they say, well, it's just because you still have that root of sin within you. It's that double nature. It's that dual nature. And so what it is is your old sin nature plus your new righteous nature are in conflict and you got to decide who you really are. It's like, well, I'm not schizophrenic. I'm not two people. You don't have a sin nature as a believer. You were dead in Christ. I mean, dead in sin. Now you're alive in Christ. Amen? That's, that's the reality of it. This whole nature talk is an NIV thing, and it confuses people. You were dead in, in sin, alive in Christ. So that's what you have to affirm. This is who I am in Christ. If I start displaying these limitations and this destruction in my life again, it actually could mean that you are experiencing growth and increase. It's just that now you're down to that level of heart depth again where you stuff that stuff down into and it's time to deal with it now. Maybe you didn't deal with it the first time and now it's time to deal. But the point is, don't be discouraged if you act a fool when you're trying to move forward. <laughs> It might just mean that there's some stuff in there that as you start digging, those rocks are going to come up, deal with the rocks, get them out, and move on. The rocks are the strongholds. A stronghold is a lie. It's not a demon. It's a lie. Demons can attach themselves to, to lies, but the, the demon itself is not the stronghold. The lie is a stronghold. Don't let that demon reinforce the lie. Amen? See, the enemy in the world was trying to install a lie within Jesus that he wasn't really the Son of God. That's the only thing that he could be tempted in. Thankfully, he didn't believe that lie. Could he have sinned? Nobody wants to answer. It's an interesting question. If he was a man, like as we are, limited in every way, tempted in every way, yet without sin, could he have sinned? 
Because we think, we think oh, there's something special about him. There's no way he could have sinned. God can't sin. Okay, well, can God be tempted? No. God cannot be tempted, neither tempts he any man. Was Jesus tempted? Am I saying Jesus was not God? No. <laughs> I'm just saying there was a period in his existence where he was a man. It, right? I mean, we can't understand that. But the reality is your Savior knows what you've been through. He's faced everything that you ever have faced or ever will face. And under the influence of the Spirit of God, empowered by grace, affirming his identity and who he is as a son of God, never chose sin. Never let himself be limited down to the level of acting out of that improper identity. I mean, that's powerful. That's encouraging for me. Because if he did it as a man, that means I can do it. Women too. Amen? All right, so the, what I want you to take away from this is when you go out of here and, and you're, you know, we're wrestling with this, right? We, we're, all, we're all struggling with, I've got these desires, I've got these passions, I've got this ministry idea, I want to be an influence, I want to I affect the world in a positive way, I want to bring people's lives to Christ, I want to be a light in this world, I want to be a peace carrier, I want to participate in the increase of his kingdom, but I've got this job and, you know, I've got this these kids to raise, and I've got this past, and I've got this stuff, and I've got this sin habit, and I've got, you know, and so we're like constantly, constantly going through a ch an identity challenge of all of this stuff that we have, and, and we get so overwhelmed that we never move past where we are. I'm telling you, the way to move past where you are is the same thing that Jesus did, and that is affirm your identity as a child of God, first and foremost. That is, that's it. You just stand. I'm a child of God. I am accepted and loved by him because of what Jesus did for me. Now, out of that, I'm going to move forward. And I've got this job that I'm working in right now. Or I've got this thing that I need to take care of. Or I have these children. Or I have this spouse. I've got this life. But that's not who you are. That's just what you live into. So how, is it that can, how can you affirm your identity in Christ and just live into those things? And then in the midst of that, follow God into this very specific thing that he might call you into. Now, it's not that if you never do that, that you're missing the will of God for your life. It's just that he's going to have things that he wants you to do. A calling is an invitation from God to go influence somebody. I mean, that's really all it is. It's not to build a legacy or to build a building and call that church or to build a ministry. It's to influence people. Every calling that every person has ever ultimately is influence people with the gospel. Amen? It's really pretty simple. I mean, we make it so complicated. And then we get these, well, I don't want to... Religion loves to splinter all of that stuff and, and make you feel incomplete as if you're not who you should be or as if you're not already the, 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 the complete in Christ. You know, I'm thinking specifically about some circles where it's like you need an impartation or, or you need to learn some more to increase in your learning or, or you need another gift or... Don't ever fall into that garbage. You are complete in Christ right now in this moment. If you said yes to Jesus, you're done spiritually. Now, you might need some other things, understanding, learning, get that gift stirred up within you, and, and to move out into those, those things will help you walk out this call, right? But first and foremost, I, this is who I am in Christ. I'm going to live out of that. And everything that comes at me has to filter through that, even if it feels like it's coming from deep within me, even if it feels like it's this thing that I just can't shake and it's like, I, and then you go to somewhere and you stand up and you say, hey, my name is Clint, I am my sin. 
You know what I mean? Like you go to these things and they just, they just try to define your identity based on your failure. No. Stop that. Define your identity based on Jesus' success. And, and then live from that. But again, I just want to revisit that idea just to give you some consolation. Maybe let yourself off the hook a little bit if you feel like you've started to move forward. And then it's like, you know, somebody was joking. They said, you know, I used I, I quit cussing a long time ago, but I've recently started again. <laughs> you know, just joking. It was funny. But but that's how we feel, right? We're like, what am I doing? Why did I go back into that, you know? And sometimes it's just stuff that you either didn't deal with and it's time to deal with it. Don't beat yourself up if you start to fail as you try to move forward. Is it okay to sin? No. It brings death. It brings destruction. It hardens your heart to God. Don't do it. But I like what Paul says. Don't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Remember, he is your sin offering. Doesn't make room for sin. Doesn't minimize the effect of sin. It just causes you to not be so afraid of it and so conscious of it. The more you're conscious of your own sin, the more you're going to repeat it. Be conscious of who you are in Christ. Amen? Man, I feel like I could keep going, but I think that's good. Don't beat yourself up. Quit beating yourself up because you might not be as far along as you need to be. Are you moving forward? Are you intentionally living out of your love and passion for people? That's really the question. And if you're not, make a decision to start taking steps in that direction. How can I intentionally love people with the end goal of them seeing Christ in it somehow? You know what I mean? Let's do that. Quit beating yourself up. Quit beating yourself up. Can you decide that right now? I'm going to quit beating myself up. Doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean that God is okay with it. Yeah, but, but I'm going to quit beating myself up. I'm going to quit affirming this destruction within me by feeling guilty about it. Guilt works like grace. Grace will empower you to live righteously. Guilt will empower you to live destructively. Quit beating yourself up. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the condemnation. Let go of the shame. It is not serving you well. It is keeping you trapped in the very thing that's making you feel guilty. Move forward. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you for grace. Thank you for this power. It's like this generator of power that you've placed within us inside of our new identity and our new being, and it never runs out. God, we give you, we give you permission to speak into our minds and our hearts to turn us to be influenced by you because we just want to reflect your glory. And as we move forward, if we find things that we need to deal with, we will deal with them. We will, we will make decisions to conquer that sin finally. We will make decisions to forgive that person or forgive ourselves. We will make decisions to, to believe that our desire could change so we don't continue to repeat that destructive pattern. We believe that we can change inwardly. Even what we want can change. And we give that to you. Father, I thank you that you're influencing me so that I only desire your righteousness. And we make the decision to stay at peace and to affirm that we are at peace with you. It starts there. All of this stuff, we just kind of bring it all back down to this simple idea that we are at home with you. We are at peace with you. You are pleased with us because we have said yes to Jesus. Our faith in Christ is what pleases you. Just, just affirm that I am at peace with Christ. I am at peace with the Father.
because of what Jesus has done for me. He values me and loves me and has given me the place of peace in his own heart. You know, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, there may be things that you don't understand and that's okay. But maybe for the first time you're willing to say, I believe, Jesus, that what you did was for me. And I want to experience that forgiveness and I want to experience that righteousness. I believe that what you did was for me. Maybe for the first time you're making that decision. Just, just lift up your hand where I can see your hand. You're choosing to say yes to him. Just receive that gift that he's offering to you. hands up. It's real simple. Jesus chose to come here to rescue you. You can put your hands down once you've lifted them up. But just think about this inside. My God loves me and he didn't want me to be separate from him. So he came here himself as a human to rescue me from my sin and from my separation and bring me back to himself. And I am saying yes to you, Jesus, today. And just say this out loud. Jesus, I believe you came to rescue me. Just say that. I believe you came to rescue me. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you have given me your righteousness. I am forgiven. I am accepted by God because of what you did. I choose to live under your influence. I submit myself to your grace. You are my Lord. You're my God. I thank you that you rose from the dead for me. And from now on, I'm safe in you. Now transform me and help me reflect your glory. Amen. Amen. Man, let's show him some love. People got saved.